The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Thank you, the listeners, for continuing to download, consume, interact with us here at the Cover 3 Podcast. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. If you have not gotten a chance to listen to the legendary Week 1 Instant Reaction... No one else's instant reaction was out there faster. No one else's reaction was more instant. So go and download this. Uh, Here we will be continuing to put together the pieces as we will on all Monday mornings. Happy Labor Day, Barton. Uh, Thank you for taking some time. You and I are actually working a lot today, so not a day off for us, but uh, such such is life. a lot, of, a lot of getting in the uh, in the old video chair and uh, uh, telling the telling the kids to, to to chill for a few minutes while Daddy uh, deals with some 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 talking. So, but yeah, it's good. It's uh, that's uh, that's the way our Labor Day is supposed to be. Right, exactly. Um, and so tonight we will uh, have the finale of Week One, uh, finally after a five-day marathon, and it will be Notre Dame and Louisville. We will address that in, in our next podcast. And we want to begin the show discussing Sunday night's game, uh, Oklahoma, a winner against Houston. It was uh, for Jalen Hurts a six-touchdown performance, five hundred yards of offense, and the I, the the statistics sort of stand out on their own and and the Oklahoma writers are pointing to you know all the different single game performances and and how this stacks up against all of them but my lingering takeaway or my lingering major takeaway Barton is the disconnect between the the people on the outside or the people that were even at that game that are ready to to write up all the great Jalen Jalen Hurts Heisman columns and the comments from Jalen Hurts himself, who seemed extremely disappointed uh, and and knows all of the mistakes that were made and knows what that next level can look like with the Jalen Hurts-led Oklahoma offense, sort of tagged with Lincoln Riley, who was happy, you know, complimented his his veteran quarterback, but seems to also know that there was some meat left on that bone. That disconnects between, uh, you know, the the writers that were there saying this is you know one of the ten best single game performances in Oklahoma history, and then the people who are at the heart of this offense, Lincoln Riley, Jalen Hurts, letting us know that it could have been even better. Uh, I think that that shows that the next gear might mean that Oklahoma could be championship ready this season. Yeah, I thought that was encouraging. I mean, I, I did think that, uh, you know, I wasn't overly impressed with Houston offensively and uh, eventually uh, Oklahoma sort of allowed them to, to score a lot of points. And, uh, and I wonder if <clears throat> I wonder how fixed that Oklahoma defense is. But I think that's honestly like a, uh, a, a, a judgment for another day because that game was never really in doubt. Um, with the Jalen th- deal... I mean, I had a couple of, of takeaways. I mean, one was just that, um, you know, that it feels like, and even when you, when you did, did you hear like the interview with uh, his dad um, with Holly Rowe during the game? I did not. Were you, did you have the volume on there for that? So it was, uh, he was sort of like, you know, sh- 
she was asking him about the performance, and as it was going on, he was almost like she, you know, I think she was even saying like, "Oh, he's rushed for a career high in this game," and he was, and he almost tried to sort of sidestep that question and be like, "Yeah, I'm more interested in his passing." So clearly, like the Hertz family wants this Oklahoma experience to be about, um, about building. Sorry, my phone is ringing here. What's the what's the Oklahoma experience to be about? Like building him as a prospect for the NFL as sure. a thrower, sure, uh, and understandably, and so, but and he's going to do that. But what I what I liked is the fact that it doesn't look like Lincoln Riley is is just here to put together his Jalen Hurts resume, like to, <laughs> to put together his you know the Jalen Hurts. NFL campaign yeah like he is actually going to build this offense around Jalen Hurts strengths and he was still efficient and still threw it downfield and threw it still had success passing and was um doing all the stuff that Oklahoma does throwing the ball but he also was like running him not just not just a, a a counter here or there but like running him quarterback powers like consistently uh making him a part of the run game which I think is going to make Oklahoma um, a lot more dangerous uh, and is going to, th- I think, be – I think it's good news if you're an Oklahoma fan in terms of just um, not getting not getting distracted by let's, you know, let's let's make this a transfer destination for people because we're going to showcase their past abilities. Like, no, this is about putting together the best, most dangerous offense given Jalen Hurts' skill set. There was a dastardly uh, play – with the, it was like a a fake jet sweep into a fake bubble screen. So all of the defense's eyes are all to one side. Like everything, like the the man in motion was going. Uh, the man in motion, if you're behind the offense, was going left to right. The the fake bubble, all of that action was over on the right side. And then Jalen Hurts just takes off for like a 35 yard run. I mean the the way that Lincoln Riley understands how to use space. And manipulate it and continue to tweak and evolve and adapt is, you know, nothing, nothing that you and I are going to be like groundbreaking, making a note of or a mention of it. It has become the major takeaway, not just in college football, but at football of all levels, uh, as people have continued to break down what's happened with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Absolutely. This is like, you know what Lincoln Riley's job is? He he hopes that Jalen Hurts makes it to the NFL. His job is to win football games, though. And the best way to win football games right. is to utilize all of Jalen Hurts' skills. Um, you know, I think one other part, like uh, <clears throat> with that style of play, with the way they approached it and with uh, with Jalen Hurts, you know, you know, with the, with the game plan, embracing Jalen Hurts as a runner, um, it also, to me, presented potentially like a positive just in that um like i felt like you know usually when we see oklahoma with kyler murray and with baker mayfield to an extent like it felt like it was just non-stop big plays five play scoring drives uh and and then the defense is back on the field and this game i don't know whether i'm just whether i'm imagining this but with Jalen Hurts running the ball as much as he was, it felt like Oklahoma was possessing it Ooh. a little more. Yeah, and I wonder if it'll help the defense, kind of, um, you know, if, if it'll be more complimentary football in terms of both sides of the ball being um, in a position to be successful. I'm looking as I'm saying that I'm looking it up on the the, the team stats, and I mean it was still uh, Houston had the ball 31 minutes and and. Uh, Oklahoma had a 20, you know, 29, 31 and a half, 32 into 28. So, I mean, Houston still had more time of possession. <clears throat> so I don't know if there's anything to that or not, but it, it felt like the drives were more, were taking up more game clock, were, were, were taking up more uh, real minutes and giving the defense more time to, 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 re- to rest. I don't know. You know, I think that might be something to monitor. Just that this style with Jalen Hurts is more, um, more complimentary. It is possible that we, uh, you know, like this. There's a simplicity to the fact that Kyler Murray 
literally has a major league baseball arm and Hollywood Brown was one of the fastest wide receivers in the entire country. And there just might've been some touchdowns last year that no other offense, no other like quarterback wide receiver tandem was going to have. Right. Like it's just, it it was a, it was a 32nd touchdown drive because uh, Kyler and Marquise knew that if they got this matchup against this cornerback, forget everything else that's happening, just go chuck it 70 yards down the field, uh, he'll go get it. And that that is something that uh, you know might have hurt the defense a little bit. You mentioned it briefly. Before we move on from Oklahoma, what do you make? Because there's going to be a rush to try and, and grade out uh, Alex Grinch and the Oklahoma defense. Now, like... It's funny because I want to give Kenneth Murray, the player, the credit he deserves for being one of the uh, standouts on that Oklahoma defense, but I will admit that I, uh, when he was voted preseason defensive, uh, preseason defensive player of the year at the Pac-12 media days, I, I did wonder if that's just because he had a really high tackle count last year, and I just wonder if he had a high tackle count last year uh, because part of it was he had like 23 tackles against Army, I think, and he had a lot of other high tackle counts. There's something to be said for always being near the ball. He was once again flying around. Are you buying into this flying around narrative that suggests Oklahoma is going to be more effective in the games, especially the ones that are going to decide whether or not Oklahoma is a big 12 champion and a college football playoff contender? Um, well, I, th- I thought that they, there seemed to be less just breakdowns. There seemed to be less guys lined up in the wrong spot. There seemed to be less um, just, you, you know, kind of, they had. They seem to know the game plan. They seem to know where to be, where to line up, how to fit the run, those sort of things. And so, I think that's a positive. I mean, it wasn't a perfect performance. Like I said, I probably. I mean, I was really kind of disappointed in your boy Derek King. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I, I mean, he wasn't sharp throwing the ball. Um, and I thought, I don't know, maybe I thought Houston he, was really bad at the line of scrimmage. Mike Houston is going to win the AAC bet took a big nosedive here in week one as they just looked very incomplete along both lines of scrimmage. Agreed. Yeah. So I don't know that this is going to be the best test for that defense, um, but it looked, I, I mean, I'll say it looked improved. Um, and Kenneth Murray did look really good. Neville Gallimore had some really strong flash plays. Uh, you know, there was, there was some positive to take from it, uh, but I, but I'm going to temper any sort of the defense is fixed talk uh, b- until they, they really uh, play somebody that that looks like they could threaten them. Um, from the Sooners to their Bedlam rivals, Oklahoma State, a 52 to 36 winner on Friday night. We did not get a chance to uh, talk about Chubba Hubbard and his 221 yards and three touchdowns in uh, on Friday night when we did our instant reaction on Saturday night. Uh, did you see anything? Well, first of all, we know that Barton's got his Oregon State interest in this uh, matchup, but what did you see, I guess, uh, from this game that, that stood out to you moving forward? Yeah, I, I wanted to make sure we brought this game up because I thought that was one of the and, – and Oregon State may very well be terrible, so this is one we shouldn't, again, overreact to, but – I thought, man, Oklahoma State with Spencer Sanders at quarterback. I think that is a game-changing type of setup offensively. We'll see if their defense can stop anybody, but I now put them in the they can beat anyone tier in the Big Twelve because mm. Spencer Sanders to me looked that good. Tylen Wallace is we know he's that good, and Chuba Hubbard is we we I, I thought he was going to be that good coming into the season, but man, he looked. He looked awesome. Like the the that trio really is. I I really believe that that trio might end up being as good as any quarterback, running back, receiver trio in the country. I'm talking about, you know, Clemson, Alabama, wherever you find them. Like those guys looked really, really good. And so, um, that is, I think that made the Big Twelve a lot more interesting. That Oregon State game late Friday night. So do you how do you feel about them in comparison to your beloved Iowa State? Like if you were to take them uh, in the continuous sliding scales of the pecking order, are you putting Oklahoma State close to Iowa State on Iowa State's level or maybe even a shade or a nose ahead of the cyclones? 
I would. Uh, I don't know. It's hard. It's just so hard to say whether that that Iowa State game was just Iowa uh, teams I mean, I could, being Iowa teams. Yeah, yeah I yeah. can really see it just being you know, and just just an Iowa muck fest. And I think. But look, they're on the. I think that I put them on the tier. I don't. I don't know that I put them above them, uh, but I think I put them. And I think TCU is is on that tier as well. I think so. I think that's that's where I put them. Just in that, we got Oklahoma and Texas, the teams we're we're most confident in in the Big Twelve, and then you've got Iowa State and TCU to me. And I think now I put Oklahoma State in that group as well. Um, we little bit of news item. But while uh, since you mentioned TCU, Matthew Baldwin granted immediate eligibility at TCU. They played both Max Duggan and Alex Delton, the former Kansas State quarterback, in their thirty-nine to seven win against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Do you think that Baldwin ends up like jumping right into that quarterback picture? I feel like Gary Patterson ha- has been fearless at times in terms of rotating in and giving lots of quarterbacks a chance. How do you sort of handicap or forecast that position for the Horn Frogs? I actually think the the true freshman is is going to be the starter by maybe week four. Um, he was. I just don't think. I mean, Alex Delton can run. He's, a, he's yeah yeah. He's he's not gonna. I don't think he allows you to be your best self. I think he is. He's going to not turn the ball over. And I know that there's a temptation from Gary Patterson. To, to make sure they don't turn the ball over after what happened last year and the quarterback shuffle last year. So there's there, so that's it's always going to be hesitation to go to the true freshman because of that. I just don't think it, Delton is, is, is that good as a thrower. I mean, he's, he's, he couldn't beat out Skylar Thompson at Kansas State. Uh, why do we think he's going to be some different quarterback at TCU, you know, he's never, I don't think in his career, dating back to high school, I don't think he's ever had, had more than 1,200 yards passing. Uh, so I'm just skeptical there, but I think Max Dugan is, is I think he's legit, really good. So, and I, and Matthew Baldwin still has an, you know, he's recovering from a, an injury. I, I, I don't think he's going to get in the mix only because to me, I would imagine TCU is zeroed in on those, those, those first two. Uh, JT Daniels, the USC quarterback, likely out for the year with a knee injury. Uh, kind of haunting if you were to go back and listen to the final moments of our recap pod as uh, we sort of close things out with, and JT Daniels is being carted off the field right now. That's not good. Well, we'll meet up with you later to see what's going <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> uh, so it's, it is not a, a pretty outlook for USC right now for the like like how how do we now look at that quarterback room what now happens with uh with that position and like how much did JT Daniels factor into uh my and, and anyone's hope that USC was going to be good this year I don't know you go first what what you how did how did he factor into you cuz you're you are you you bought all the USC stock uh, you're holding that ticket right now. What's uh, what 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 is what is your level of despair right now? Not as high as it could have been if I was going in blind, thinking about JT Daniels, the top-rated prospect. Because when I was doing my like deep digging, shout out to Ryan Abraham and everybody at uscfootball.com. Like when I was going in and reading up on all the different practice reports, and I was you know trying to decipher what I could from all the different. Cord Graham Harrell and Clay Helton and sort of position coach interviews that were coming out of there. The fact that the quarterback battle itself seemed to linger on and and no one seemed to feel like JT had really had uh, dominant showings and the little bits of, of practice and workouts that they had seen. I think that that had me selling the investment specifically in JT Daniels. And that's why like I think the the tenor of my conversation and the focus of my analysis really shifted to the system and the wide receivers as sort of the the crux of it all. Now they're really going to be tested because the the in the back of my mind, this whole can win the Pac-12 had to do with JT Daniels realizing some of that uh, that high potential and everything clicking into place. Though I was recognizing 
that it it didn't seem like it was cooking in in fall camp. So I am I am not uh, I am definitely believing that this injury could be catastrophic enough to totally derail that very small sliver of chance that I'd planted in the ground that USC could win the pack could win the Pac-12 and make the playoff. But uh, I do think that I'm not ready to jump all the way off to say, well, this team's going to go six and six and Clay Helton's going to get fired. I believe that there is still within uh, the bet of Graham Harrell and the wide receivers uh, a lot of a lot of reasons to believe it can work. Now, the, the thing that has me backpedaling as much as JT Daniels' injury, Barton, is just the bungling of like game day management stuff, which is all coaching, and that's just like that that stuff compounds on itself. When it was two players wearing number seven on the opening kickoff for a penalty, I was like, oh god, oh yeah. no, this is this is this is not good. So I'm I'm probably less. Uh, less panicked by I'm sad about, you know, the JT Daniels injury. Again, I feel like there's a lot of uh, potential there that we haven't seen quite click into place, but I am less panicked by the JT Daniels injury than uh, on its surface. USC starting quarterback likely out for the year. I believe with some context, there's still a reason to think that they are or were or can be the same team that they would be with JT Daniels in the line bet, lineup. Yeah, I mean, I just – it's. I would almost feel better if it was like – I mean, I know that they're playing the, their best option, but I would feel a little bit better if their best option was Jack Sears or Matt Fink, that their best option is a true freshman. Just has me a little bit concerned about – all right, so now Clay Helton, who has a brutal early season schedule, has to – survive that early season schedule with uh, a true freshman for the second year in a row. Um, and he's got a new offensive system being implemented. That just, uh, that, that, that has me concerned. I mean, I, what are you, where are you at? I mean, so I think Clay Helton will be fired by the sixth game of the year. I think they'll start two and four. He'll be done. Uh, do you are you st- so you do you do you i mean i guess i'm lost in the sauce do, man i can't i can't be out here firing him i went too so hard yeah, i, I got say, too like, close i got way too so close you think he'll, yeah yeah you you still think helton will be around by the end of the year because you're you're you've got to look at the glass half full situation here right yep 100 percent but I mean, let's, yeah. I mean, and to to back up and lay out exactly what you just mentioned, because Barton's view is clear-eyed, Chips is blurry. Uh, <laughs> they play Stanford, then they have to go play at BYU, then they play Utah. Then it's is at, Stanford this week. Stanford is this week. Well, I mean, KJ Costello may be out, and they didn't look that good against Northwestern, and Walker Little left with an injury. I haven't heard the latest with that. Like. Who knows? Maybe maybe they're catching Stanford at a good time to uh, to beat them. But you said and two and maybe four. Maybe Stanford's not that good, anyways. I know that's yeah, what I'm saying. They, like I, they need I, the Stanford my, win bad. My, my yeah, my preseason my preseason like sort of glance at that schedule had me eye in two and four early on, but <clears throat> I think I had Stanford as a loss in there. So I mean, this will be. This perhaps perhaps they've got a better opportunity to win that than maybe they would have a week ago. So if they go if they lose uh, at they lose they lose they beat Stanford they go at BYU let's say they win that then they play Utah at home we believe Utah which is a very good football team will win that game they go to Washington we believe Washington which looks to be a very good football team will win that game they go to Notre Dame probably win that game. I think that Clay Helton will stay around through Notre Dame. I don't think that USC so that, wants to trot into the rivalry game with an interim coach before mid-October. They got to beat. They got to beat Stanford and BYU. Have and to. those two. Those, and I and I really think the BYU game is. I mean, that's. I'm convinced BYU beat somebody. Well, um, Tennessee. With, that's for sure. They got Tennessee this weekend. I mean, but they're, Tennessee's a favorite. They're four point favorite. I'll take the Cougs. 
<laughs> the psychological damage that might be going on. You tell what what what's the what's the psychological state of Tennessee right now? Uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, I, I I've never <laughs> I've never been on a team, and that's well. My high school team was pretty dang good, but my college team was never good enough to to have that disappointing of a loss that Tennessee had this year. <laughs> like there's there was no there was no uh, the, the, there was no Georgia State on on my my record my schedule. Every loss could be explained away uh, in college for me. That this this there was there was never uh, you know a hundred thousand seat stadium uh welcoming in a georgia state fan base that went two and ten last year that i had to then figure out how i lost to uh so no i don't i don't know what their mental state is right now uh but it's they're gonna be challenged this week in practice i thought in watching that game like as much as anything they just weren't li- like they weren't getting lined up. I know they were making like they're. I mean, I think part of it is. I mean, they they do have a good true freshman class. I think, and they're playing a lot of those guys. Maybe they're playing too many of those guys. Um, and you know, Alabama can play those true freshmen because they've got a bunch of really experienced guys around them. And it's it's. But when Tennessee's asking the true freshmen to really kind of be the the leaders of the defense, uh, it's maybe that's the problem. But I, I mean, that is a comp- like. Tennessee's supposed to be recruiting not on Alabama's level, but close to it. Tennessee's guys were that are playing are were ranked similarly to Alabama's guys that are playing. And I watched the Alabama game, and that like DJ Dale in the middle, Christian Harris and Shane Lee at linebacker. I mean, those guys were looked like some of Alabama's best players. So Alabama can get those guys ready. Um, Tennessee couldn't. I, I'm not ready to write write the season off yet. I think this next week will be really telling, but. Man, they just like they just needed like you almost put it on the coaches more than the players. Like how, how are they that more prepared? I uh, I spent yesterday running a lot of errands. It, it was a day at the uh, is it was it was a landlord day for me yesterday. So a lot of time in the car, a lot a lot of heading out to to Lowe's, you know, going to pick stuff up and uh, I listening to some sports radio. And there's this new thing that has cycled into our. Uh, college football and maybe even college basketball sort of uh, news cycle, which is when you are the head coach of a team that has pulled a power five upset as a group of five school, you just go on a media blitz and good on, I mean, good to recognize it because that's something that you can sell to a national audience. It's like, Hey, the, the little guy beat the, the blue blood and let's talk to the head coach of the little guy. And it was, you know, fascinating because Sean Elliott, you know, law assistant, former assistant coach and interim coach at South Carolina. And, uh, you know, he's, he was out there and he, he said, look, we, we thought that we could win that game. He was like, we came in and we figured that we were going to be able to win that game. And I feel like we did everything we wanted to do in the line of scrimmage and just listening to Sean Elliott, just like walk around and be like, nah, we were the better team. That is a, you know, awesome for the work that he's doing in a, uphill battle of of trying to to build out that program and turn it into a team that's going to compete in the Sun Belt but then also like yo Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee how how is this uh how is this Georgia State staff being able to recognize all of these issues put their players in a position to expose them and y'all are just y'all are just at left getting beat like that i mean that uh that extra little bit of sting uh, has to has to make the it's got to be a wake up call for for that staff right absolutely and that's the other thing about it. I mean this is probably one of the most highly regarded staffs in college football um, and I really think as much as anything the the bigger issue here is the 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 defense more so than the offense I mean everything needs to get better but the defense is I mean that's where Tennessee's supposed to, you know, be that's that's Jeremy Pruitt's specialty right there. Um, so, h- how do they get the defense fixed? And that to me is is more concerning that it's that far away to where Georgia State can kind of run up and down the field on them a little bit. Well, you mentioned Alabama. We will discuss them 
the Georgia Bulldogs, whether or not there's any hot seat talk in the SEC, and uh, as we will do every single Monday, we will have an opportunity to walk back some of our over or instant reactions from Saturday night. So SEC focus, walkbacks, all that next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So it sounds like you've got some good grades for uh, the young Alabama defenders that were in the mix. The On the offensive side, I would say that my notebook for Alabama started with like, Jerry Judy is still a monster, and uh, Tua in that offense is going to be fine. I felt like the offensive execution certainly improved once the uh, the unit got full staff. I mean, got full uh, everybody that was suspended came back, but I'm uh, I'm coming out of this game not feeling like I I learned. Uh, I, I don't know my my Alabama takeaways are a little thin. Do you did you get on rewatch? Uh, did you glean some things that you feel like gave us a hint of what the Crimson Tide are going to be? Well, I just thought that <clears throat> I mean Duke doesn't have the athletes to stress Alabama's defenders. But they're 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 sound schematically, and they're going to throw some challenges at you. I mean, they were they were running like Paul Johnson, Georgia Tech triple option stuff in that game, and I can't imagine Alabama was preparing for that. And I, I just think for them to what they got three points is that right? Yep. Uh, and that was and even that was even those three points I think were off a turnover. Um, I thought that they look. I I think the injury to Dylan Moses is I, I I don't I don't doubt that that was an incredibly impactful injury, but just the performance of Shane Lee and Christian Harris in this game leads me to believe that perhaps it's uh, it's less troubling than I initially thought because those guys look great. They looked really good. Like and I don't know how Alabama does it gets those guys that ready. It's I don't know how Alabama can get a literally a true freshman that was playing cornerback last year and have him that dialed in at linebacker it's it's remarkable i think if if anything i did notice a drop off when the slightly um and and by, with limited exposure but i noticed a drop off when the the backups came in at linebacker so Maybe it's just the, they're they're thinner now. Like I don't I do think the neck like I wouldn't count like if 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 one of those two true freshmen gets injured at linebacker, I wouldn't count the next guy up as 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 um sort of no drop off. Uh, and so, but I just thought for them to get that done with the the offense that they were facing the with DJ Dale as another true freshman in the middle up, up in front of them. I mean, I, I feel like you can sort of feel like this is this defense will still be really good, like really, really good, one of the best in the country. Do you think that they are uh, how like Duke, like you said, Duke is not going to have an offensive line that's going to impose the kind of threat that an SEC offensive line would have in terms of being able to get penetration, and being able to cause problems? Because I mean, Quentin Harris was never comfortable in that game at all, and, and few quarterbacks going up against Alabama's defense have been over the years, but. Do you think that because uh, we've talked about the Alabama secondary that was a little bit young, but we think they're super talented, the depth issues at linebacker? How do you make? How, 
you believe that up front they're rock solid? Uh, I think they're I think they're really good. <clears throat> I don't know that they've got. I think they're solid, like outside linebacker solid on the line of scrimmage. I just don't know that they've quite got the Quinn and Williams, um, Jonathan Allen, uh, Deron Payne, Deron Payne. Like there's, I don't know who they're. I mean, Raekwon Davis is who you sort of is, is who's supposed to be that guy. He didn't have that kind of game against Duke. Um, maybe he's maybe he'll have that kind of game down the road, but I don't know that there is that guy on this defensive front, at least not yet. Maybe he emerges as the season continues, but um, but I thought they were that you know defensive front is just going to be really good without maybe a first round pick on the front. Mm. Good uh, good stuff for uh, for Pete Golding, who we've kind of been mentioning throughout the offseason, and we will continue to uh, spotlight as that Alabama defense continues to improve and impose its will. Uh, Georgia, 30-6 to six winners against Vanderbilt. We mentioned them briefly, I think, on the uh, Saturday night podcast, but we didn't really get a chance to uh, unpack it very much. The... For the Bulldogs, they were uh, at they were in Nashville, but as you mentioned on CBS Sports HQ and frequently uh, elsewhere, even here, it's probably you know there was more red and black there than there was black and gold uh, in the stadium. And so, how do you think the Georgia fans are feeling walking out of that win? Uh, you know, that's that was the 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 march of the boa constrictor has begun. <laughs> I mean that was that was I mean kind of about what it was supposed to look like for them. They, I watched Georgia's offense yesterday, just sort of mo- most of that game from a from a Georgia offensive standpoint. And man, I mean I do I do think that this is Vandy was ripe for this sort of uh, a beatdown because Van, I just don't think Vandy's very good up front. Um, but man, like those are such big bodied. Uh, nasty dudes that are coming at you, and they block so well on the perimeter, and they their running backs, particularly DeAndre Swift, are so good. And it was just, uh, you know, it was it was. I mean, Vanderbilt's. I think we'll find out this week when Vanderbilt plays Nevada, like how much we should take away from that win for Georgia. But it was a it was a really I thought. Um, impressive showing just of sort of because I, I don't think Georgia is built right like to 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 beat teams in the same way that um maybe Alabama is because that's not they're not really throwing it downfield or the same Clemson. way they don't have or Clemson yeah Georgia's gonna beat Georgia's gonna beat teams you know 28 to 3 or whatever they beat uh Vandy as like that's gonna be the more standard than the 56 to 14 uh, and it's going to be just as devastating, and in some ways more so because it, it's the old school Alabama deal. I mean, it's the old. I keep on saying like this is they're just what Alabama. They are Alabama's the new Alabama. Georgia's the old Alabama, and uh, you know it's going to be fun to watch those styles continue to clash. That's a really good line. Have you uh, have you gone Ohio State style and tried to go trademark that the patent office? <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't. I've used it a couple of times, but I guess I'll just I'll keep on. Uh, Keep on peppering that in there. Oh, I, I will cite Barton Simmons when I when I drop that because you're 100 percent right. From the like uh, all the way down to the full rotation of backs, right? Like just where right you've, you've got DeAndre Swift, you've got Harrion, go all the way down to Zamir White, and you just got three dudes that are running behind five, six, six, three hundred and thirty pound monsters. And there's it is it's physics. It's not football. Like they're just going to absolutely pound you. And on the defensive side, they just got freaks, and they're just going to fly around and and clog up the space. They're not going to be moved. Um, it's it is uh, something where as we continue to play out the rest of of the Georgia path, it is lined up such that you as a Georgia fan should expect everything unreasonable in terms of the expectations. This Georgia team can win a national championship. It is just only that creeping doubt in your mind from the many times where uh, you've played Charlie Brown trying to kick the football that should be in there because everything on paper suggests that this Georgia team, this Georgia team can beat Alabama. I don't, I don't know if I'd pick it, 
But this Georgia team can beat Alabama. This Georgia team can win a national championship. Absolutely. Just playing, just playing the old Alabama. It's awesome. I yeah. I love yeah. the contrast there. Yeah. It's in it. I mean, it's um the teams that it would have to beat to win it are all are all new era. Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, o- Oklahoma. Um and and I think, you know, in some ways maybe that's why you can uh, we'll see what LSU looks like against Texas, but maybe that's an appeal to LSU too is they they're you know they're they're now taking a step forward into the RPO world and Joe Brady modernizing their their offense, but but LSU is still foundationally like in its DNA. It's still an old school, you know, still old school. Les Miles is in there, and so maybe that's a a reason to like LSU's chances more than they're being talked about too. Uh, right now on September second, Georgia Notre Dame in Athens. Who are you picking? Oh, I, I got Georgia. I've, I've, that's been because I, I do think Notre Dame's like potentially really good and maybe eleven and one, but I've I've never wavered on. I think Georgia is gonna is gonna win that game because I just I think that that's an area on the line of scrimmage where where Georgia's still gonna be able to to dominate. Uh, you know, maybe if Jerry Tiller was back, maybe if uh, I think Notre Dame is more built defensively to handle. The, the more modern teams than this Georgia squad. Mm. Backloaded, I guess you would say, on the defensive side? Uh, well, they have, they have really good defensive ends. Notre Dame does. But they're, they're a little bit less experienced and proven on the defensive interior. Uh, and they're they're not – they're going to have a bunch of new faces at linebacker that are – you know, we'll find out. They might be really good, but they're they're not the you – know, Drew Tranquil's gone. Tavon Coney's gone. Uh, they've – so they've got a, they've got a, those guys are going to have a real challenge. Uh, elsewhere in the SEC East, I wanted to, uh, I, w- I wanted to pick your brain and bring this up for conversation because in the wake of the loss to North Carolina, the South Carolina conversation, and I I picked it up locally because there's just, I mean, there are South Carolina fans all throughout the Carolinas, and so I I wanted to I wanted to sort of almost zoom out and wonder what what is the expectation for Will Muschamp with the Gamecocks and a Will Muschamp-led Gamecocks uh, program because right now the, the feeling is you look at the resume so far and there is a lack of the quality win. There is also a a few just head scratching losses peppered in there, like really, really bad losses for the most part. It's been a program that has uh, held on to its spot in the middle of the sec East, but you know, the, the days of, of knocking off Alabama, there hasn't been that kind of quality win or Steve Spurrier being able to, to win the sec East in 2010. Those, those wins aren't there right now. So, you know, what, is there a, a a time this season as South Carolina faces again one of the toughest schedules in all of college football? Is there a time this season where you think Will Muschamp will officially be slid over to a hot seat situation? Uh, <clears throat> it seems like what's their AD's name? Um, I'm up blanking on Ray the Tanner. Old baseball coach. Does that sound right? Ray, Ray Tanner. Tanner. Yeah. 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 My my hunch is that he is is not like not anxious to put Will Muschamp on notice. My my hunch is that he I mean he hired him. He's an old coach himself. He understands the challenges of um you know the ups and downs and how hard it is to win in the SEC and all that kind of stuff. So I I think you know whether fans put him on the hot seat maybe, but I I I suspect that there isn't real legitimate hot seat you know, discussion for whatever, you know, whatever we're going to call that inside the building. Um, you know, maybe next year he's more on notice, I guess. But uh, I still think there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, con- you know uh, I-, I, th- I think they're going to take this season um, and be reasoned with 
their approach to the to the coaching hire. I think this team is like what do we th- like, like? Let me ask you this. All right, so let's say they go six and six. That would mean they, you know, they lost to North Carolina. They lost to Alabama. They lost to Georgia and Florida. Um, they lost to Clemson and Texas A and M. I think that gets us to six and six. Um, Boy, that's that's some quality you, wins against Missouri and Kentucky and Vanderbilt and Tennessee and App. And I don't know if I'm ready to give them. Right. So, all right, that's my point then. So let's but say they're six and six, and that's that's what they so they do have some quote quality wins. Is that a are you allowed to be okay with that season? I I mean I'm, I'm should you be okay with that season? There's there's something that's like uh, two-faced about being able to say, uh, number one, like, hey, South Carolina, you've won one conference championship in football ever. And that was when South Carolina was in the ACC. It was before South Carolina was even in the SEC. And you've won one division title in the SEC ever. And that was with Steve Spurrier in 2010. Prior to Lou Holtz kind of rallying you know circling the wagons and rallying the troops he hands it to steve spurrier steve spurrier kind of carries it to a peak of sorts in terms of success hands it over to will muschamp like the fact that this isn't the the team at the basement of the sec as it had been for you know many decades throughout the the league's history like there's there's something to be said for being being happy with the neighborhood that you're in but i'm not the donor i am not the fan i'm not the the one who's investing uh time and money and not that that gives you anything that you deserve but i do do believe it gives you a voice and i believe that uh you know you can't you can't go and get better if you're just always like well i mean you know what this is this is good and i think that for a long time near the end of the spurrier era even though they weren't competing for sec championships um it was like at least they were still running it up on Clemson, and the fact that Clemson is just speeding ahead only twists uh, only twists things for those South Carolina fans. Because when I make that when I have that little diatribe about college football is not about the national championship, it's about like winning your home games, beating your rival, this, that, or the other. College football is a social sport. Well, that means that when all those South Carolina fans are at the office, like they they are having these frustrations uh, with their own program and the inability to sort of uh, take that next step. And it is being compounded by the Clemson uh, Clemson guy down the hall who has just been wearing nothing but national championship rings every single uh, Monday. And to, to, to have that go on in the mindset of a fan, I can understand why the fan base would be upset. All of that said, I do think Ray Turner, Ray Tanner has uh, a more patient, knowledgeable approach where as long as uh you know the the infrastructure of the program is in a good place if the the fundraising is doing all right if players aren't getting in trouble like if it's if if Will Muschamp is running it like a pro I guess I could say then you would rather have that than a program that is like crumbling from an infrastructure perspective and with Will Muschamp's experience that's probably what you're signing up for you're not signing up for this guy's going to take you to the college football playoff. You're probably signing up for, he's a good recruiter. He's a great football coach. He's a good like leader of a program. And like, that is what we want out of our football team. Yeah. I think we're the South Carolina fans. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a fair point to bring up that South Carolina has never, you know, why, why should the expectations be any higher than middle of the road in the East? But I think we're the South Carolina fans are, um, are frustrated is that I think they probably feel like they've they're they're giving this program they're seeing Clemson be able to succeed in the in the in the state of South Carolina they're seeing you know the South Carolina fans have always showed up like even when they were going two and ten they they'd like have great crowds they've they've got a great fan base they have they've given great facilities they've. You know that they, they feel like this is a program that is is not at a disadvantage relative to who you're competing against in the SEC East. Yeah, maybe it's at a disadvantage compared to Georgia, um, maybe compared to Tennessee or Florida, 
but not but those teams aren't I mean those teams are pretty beatable in this era so why can't we beat them I think that's probably where they're coming from and uh, I, I get I do get that frustration and I do think that uh, Will Muschamp is is proving that the standard is sort of six or seven wins not not something better than that and uh, I, you know at some point he's got to stop getting the benefit of the doubt from everybody mm. Jeremy Pruitt or Will Muschamp who's on a hotter seat in the SEC East? I don't think Pruitt's on. Like if, if they, if, you know, if Tennessee goes two and ten or something, then all of a sudden, you know, that, the conversation changes. But I actually, I don't think that the the Georgia State loss puts Pruitt on a hot seat. I think this, the North Carolina loss, even though it was a more, obviously, it's a more uh, defensible loss. What it means for the rest of this season is, is I think more concerning than what a Georgia State loss for Tennessee means for the rest of the season given that where the two programs should be at this stage in their uh, tenure. Um, before we get to walkbacks, uh, I know that you wanted to discuss noon slate. It was right as things were getting going down in uh, the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. Mississippi State was a 38-28 to 28 winner against Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, Tommy Stevens had three total touchdowns, and... Uh, I think that you you said that you had some some feelings about this Mississippi reloaded Mississippi State defense. I didn't like the defense that I saw. I don't know whether they're missing the edge of Jonathan Abrams. I don't know if they're missing. I mean, obviously they're missing uh, three first rounders, but it's I didn't think it looked like as physical a unit, as nasty a unit as it was last year. I know it's just Louisiana, but uh, or. I mean, it is just Louisiana, so you should kind of look better than that. But I, I, it was – I've got – you know, I, th- I think Mississippi State had a chance to be kind of one of the sleeper teams in the SEC. They're going to need to have a better showing next week for me to still believe that. Uh, I just had some – I had some real question marks about what I saw on defense. All right, and walk back time from our Saturday Night Instant Reaction. We've had some time to to clear our heads, to sort through everything, to rewatch uh, some game film. So, Barton, where where do you want to start your walkbacks? My, I was pretty hard on Michigan. Uh, upon rewatch, there was like the 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 MTSU scores were off of turnovers one was like a fluky kind of broken play that the quarterback scrambled for a touchdown um one was off of a like a muff punt I mean it was a sloppy game for Michigan but it was week one and the defense was a lot more upon rewatch like dominant and and looked looked like I envision a Michigan defense should look like and I'm going to give the, the offense a little bit of a pass in week one to to get their feet under them in this new system and, and let Josh Gaddis get his feet under him calling plays. And um, so I, I am, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't LSU beating Georgia Southern 52 to three or whatever, but it was, I think it was a, it was fine. It was fine. It was nothing. I, I'm, I'm not concerned about Michigan after week one. Um, I'm going to say that I am, uh, that I, I believe that I went maybe, a little bit too, I, pro- I probably made a little bit too big a deal out of uh, out of North Carolina's win against South Carolina. Maybe that's a little bit of homerism. But as everything sorts to you know starts to sort out, I was thinking back to sort of the way that that game went. And sometimes when you've got these uh, you know these these teams that aren't championship contending teams, and, and you get them on a neutral field, and it's kind of a rivalry type setting, even though they're not annual rivals i think that the way the flow of that game upon uh thinking back on it did not suggest that sam howell is is going to be awesome and did not suggest that south carolina is just a total unmitigated disaster i i do think that some of that is just sort of the weirdness that came with uh with week one you know when like like i i try to shy away from the momentum thing but you could just feel when that game turned and it started going the other way that it was just it was just a matter of uh, seeing how it was going to happen, and 
in that same sort of breath, I would say that I am not, I'm not ready to totally bury Mario Cristobal in the same way that I was because that game did just seem to sort of turn. Now there's, there's some game management frustrations, but when we woke up on Sunday, there was a lot of Cristobal hate getting thrown around and I'm, I'm willing to have some patience knowing the Auburn team that that Oregon team played against. And I wonder, and, and I can, I can sort of play it out in my mind that maybe having that game and having that experience, may, maybe it does prove to be uh, a way for that team to, to make a change of uh, change of face and figure out ways to be better at finishing because, uh, because I, you know, I did, I, I did some pointing at Mario Cristobal and maybe that was undeserved. Yeah. Um, I do think, yeah, like with the South Carolina deal, like that was, I think North Carolina's probably going to be better than people expected them to be. And I think that that's a, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's not, that's not a terrible loss. It's more about, man, if they, if they can't win that win, doesn't get any easier after this. Um, and uh, and then I think with the Oregon deal, that's just sort of that went exact like that just whole thing just it all played out about exactly as you would have expected, um, at right down to the last drive, and then and then it could have gone either way, you know Bo Nix either throws an interception or uh, throws a touchdown like that was that it was it was written that that was the way that game was going to go. Do you think that it's possible that our uh, warming feelings towards Wisconsin are going to get exposed and that that was just a South Florida team that is not great? It is possible. It is. Um, I've been thinking about that in the last 48 hours. Uh, yeah, it's just hard to know because I don't think – I don't think – I bet you South Florida's not that good. Um, and so we'll see. But, I, I mean, I, I would lean more – because it was – they they dominated them, and so I would lean more towards that. Wisconsin is, I mean, they would be my favorite to win the West all of a sudden now, um, but we'll find out. Uh, this is not a walk back because we didn't totally mention it, but I'm I'm worth worth sort of pointing out. I Syracuse's offense didn't have a great day against Liberty. I don't know if that says more about uh, I shoot Liberty's defensive coordinator is a former West Georgia old D2 defensive coordinator who I think spent a year at Memphis before going to Liberty. But Tommy DeVito, my boy from Jersey, uh, not a great game. Admitted it himself after the, afterwards, but you know, you still pitch a shutout. That Syracuse defense did its job, at least, in a game that I think a lot of people expected to be high scoring and back and forth. Um, I would I mention it because we've got that Syracuse Clemson game coming up in a couple weeks, and that is actually going to be the home opener for the Orange. And so we've got one more game for Syracuse on the road this week. Uh, it's going to be at Maryland, and I think that is a huge game for that offense to try and find a little bit of a rhythm uh, if they want to have a chance to keep up with Trevor Lawrence and the Tigers. Yeah, and, and Maryland is probably more athletic and more talented than people realize. So uh, not that I'm going to make anything out of them beating Howard 79 to nothing, but yeah, don't be surprised that Maryland's got some juice to them when they play somebody that, uh, that's pretty good. Anything else on the notebook that you want to clean out? I'm cleaned out. 19 points, 19 and a half points is I think the spread we're looking at for Clemson, Texas A&M. What you think about that? Seems like a lot of points. Don't I would it? probably play A&M. Yeah. Without, without digging in, I would probably play A&M. Um, I'm... We had a couple of uh, so last night the over hits right at eighty with the touchdown with like two minutes to go. Clemson narrowly covered as it's uh, as a, as a massive as a massive favorite there. I'm a, I'm a little bit worried about how good Vegas has been right out from the start in a couple of these spots. <laughs> hey, we got eyes on these teams now. I'm I'm about to I'm about to turn it up. I I, I, I feel very fortunate to have gone, I think I went four and five in week one. It felt like a lot worse week than that. So I, I, I feel like I survived week one. My adjustments are are, uh, are going to take hold, and I'm about to come back with a vengeance week two. Biggest adjustments are made from week one to week two. It happens at college football staffs and teams around the country. 
And it happens here on the Cover 3 podcast as we adjust our power ratings in our systems. All good stuff. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, we will be back with uh, some, a more focused look ahead to some of Week 2's premier games. As we mentioned, it's uh, Texas A&M at Clemson. It is LSU at Texas. Uh, so we will dig into some of that as well as discussing inside college football with Dennis Dodd. He was on the scene for Auburn, Oregon. He was on the scene for Oklahoma, Houston. What he saw, what he heard, who he talked to, all that good stuff. Barton, thank you very much. Deserve.